Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. The last lesson that we had, we saw the beginning of the Lord's Church. And we are going to continue on now in the book of Acts, turning to Acts chapter 3, and begin to see the spread of the gospel. Acts chapter 3, let's look at verses 1 through 11. Jacob, do you mind reading those? Yeah, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been unable to walk from birth was being carried, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order for him to beg for charitable gifts from those entering the temple grounds. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple grounds, he began asking to receive a charitable gift. But Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not have silver and gold, but what I do have I I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, walk. And grasping him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the, as being the very one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg for charitable gifts, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the portico named Solomon's, completely astonished. It's kind of interesting as we look at this. We don't know how much time has passed since the magnificent day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and this particular day. But however long it was, I think one thing that stands out at least to me is that there's no indication thus far that the evangelistic work of the apostles as well as the evangelistic work of any of the new Christians it doesn't seem that they've faced any opposition yet. Now we got the healing of this lame man. And when we see this healing of the lame man, we're going to enter into a series of conflicts and opposition. And I think it's interesting as well that Peter and John were often pictured together. They had been partners as fishermen in the Sea of Galilee before they were called by Jesus. Together with James, they had been at the transfiguration of Jesus. Also at the raising of Jairus' daughter and in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter and John ran together to the tomb on the resurrection morning. Well, here they are going up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Now the Jews counted time beginning at sunrise. So the ninth hour, therefore, would have been mid-afternoon or three o'clock. So they've gone up for prayer, uh, presumably, and they see a lame man, a beggar, and... uh, I think their behavior towards the beggar uh, really does cause us to search our own hearts because it's it's not the normal thing to do what Peter does 
Verse 4 says, Peter directed his gaze at him. Uh, is that is that your usual uh, approach when you come across someone sitting in front of a, an entrance uh, begging from people? Uh, or do you, uh, do you try to shy away from this person? You try to avoid them? Uh, Peter directed his gaze at him, uh, as, as did John, and said, look at us. So he engaged this man and, uh, and wanted to help this man. And uh, think that that is consistent with the behavior of people who are going to pray to the Lord. We don't, we don't want to be like the, the rich man in Luke 16 who throughout his whole life uh, ignored Lazarus. Uh, who would have been very satisfied just to have a, a small grace that was shown to him? Yeah, and I think to the uh, <clears throat> excuse me to the reaction for the the beggar there that um, for him he was just expecting a as it says in uh, verse five he was expecting to receive something from them something he received from from people all the time. I mean this is as we see in this chapter we'll see in the next chapter he is someone that was very recognizable and that he was there. Uh, often um, he'd been unable to walk since birth, and so from it's it would certainly seem he's this has been a thing for a while now to be set in front of the gate daily um, and to beg, and so his attitude was just he was going to get something like he always does, um, and the and the beauty that he got something far better than he could have uh, thought he was going to get. It wasn't silver or gold, but what he got was far superior to than than to a material thing. You know, nobody's absolutely certain about which gate of the Temple of Solomon was called beautiful. Most scholars now accept that the weight of available evidence seems to indicate that it was the gate called Nicanor in the Mishnah. It's a gate that led from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women. This would be the gate of Corinthian bronze that is described by Josephus in his work, War of the War Jews. It was made of Corinthian brass and adorned with silver and gold plates. It was 75 feet high and 60 feet wide, and it was located on the east where the sunlight presented a bright reflection to the constant crowd entering in for worship. A person entered into the temple through that gate in the sense that he was entering into its inner precincts, in other words, leaving the outer court, which was not quite as sacred as the rest of the temple complex. And we're not told whether the lame man knew who Peter and John were. What is revealed is simply that he asked a charitable gift from them, that he asked an alms from them, just as he would have asked of other people who walked by. Ross, you bring up a good point in response to Peter and John's reaction to the lame man, the beggar there. They fixed, uh, they fixed uh, their gaze upon him. The idea is they looked intently at him. And I, you make a good point when you ask, is that the usual way we react when we see someone who is begging? Peter told the man, look at us. Give us his undivided attention. Peter's gaze and the demand for the man's attention gave the man reason to hope for a gift. But as Jacob said, he had no idea how wonderful the gift was going to be. The apostles weren't wealthy men, and they had evidently not had silver or gold to give to the man. 
But again, as you said, Jacob, what they had was far more valuable. He ordered him to walk. Well, in order to do that, it meant he had to stand up. It was not by his own power, not by his own authority that Peter made such a statement, but rather it was in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. At that, Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up from his seated position, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. One of the characteristics of the New Testament miracles is that, for the most part, they were instantaneous, leaving no doubt whatsoever that what had occurred had occurred through supernatural intervention. I was thinking about this. The only possible exception to this rule that I could think of, maybe you guys can come up with another, was the healing of the blind man in Bethsaida. It occurred in two stages, but it didn't take a gradual process over a period of long period of time, but it did take two, two stages, I guess we could call it. Yeah, and I think that's really more about teaching his disciples a lesson who were kind of seeing dimly uh, context, I think, is important for that. I don't think that was a failed miracle, um, but that's a point well taken. It's immediately he sprang up and was strong. You know, I, I haven't ever given uh, begging a try. Uh, I hope I never have to, uh, but I imagine as a beggar, you've probably heard a lot of hurtful things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, get a job and all that sort of stuff, right? Rise up and walk might have been one of them for a lame man. I don't know, but uh, I wonder how that would have heard, uh, you know, initially, what would be your thought if you see a blind, if you see a, a beggar lying or sitting in a wheelchair on a street corner, and then later in the day you see him walking around? I got to admit, my first thought would be, oh, he's a faker. You know, he, he was just sitting in a he's just sitting in a wheelchair begging. Uh, it's all a con. Uh, how important is this information in verse two? And a man lame from birth. You know, this this was somebody that when they saw him, verse ten, they recognized him as the one who sat and sat and sat. You know, he's been there his whole life. This is not a con. This is clearly a miracle. And I'm so thankful for that information. The other thing I wanted to point out was, maybe we're in the position of not having silver and gold either, but yet we see a need. Even if we don't have silver and gold, what do we have would be the question for us to ask. And I'll bet, um, we, although we don't have what Peter and John had to be able to give uh, the gift of, of strong legs and feet to a, a lame man, you know what we do have, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 says, If there is at first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So maybe I don't have silver and gold, but if I'm a Christian, I certainly do have the gospel. And I can have compassion and I can listen and talk and, and care just as the man uh, uh, who showed compassion to the good, the good Samaritan. Yeah, the, the reaction of the, the the beggar that is healed here, I think, is just a, an awesome reaction. really puts a smile on your face of 
Um, he's being brought up. He stood. This is verse 8. Began to walk. Entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. I, I think for in particular, for me, the one that jumps out was the leaping aspect too. It was just that he learned to walk. And you know, the joy of... I mean, even as watching a child take their first steps is, is awesome. You imagine being a grown man and being able to... You know, you're taking your own steps. You know, let me make a point about what you're saying here. The first word of verse 8, the, the idea of leaping, is a present middle participle, meaning that he was leaping up and down repeatedly. That puts a smile on your face that you were talking about. This man, unable to walk, lame from birth, and now here he is just jumping up and down, just as excited and happy as he can be. So I just wanted to make that point and add it in there. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, it, I think it really just adds to the absolute joy and excitement of taking you know these these steps and um, I, I think you know being the grown man that he was and and um, doing this and just uh, the excitement of of all of it and he's going to be praising God um, and uh, you know just just another excellent display of how great our God is and. Uh, how th- this man's also going to be in the midst of uh, some important events uh, in the uh, next few verses. Well, just think about it. We know that this event, this this miracle, occurred at the traditional hour of prayer. So there would have been a whole lot of people in the temple. The solemnity of the worshipers in prayer would have had to have been interrupted by the leaping and the cries of praise and joy to God from this man who had so long been lamed were told that the people took note of him, the idea being the kind of knowledge that comes from experience. They knew this guy. They had seen him in the past sitting at the gate begging for charity, for gifts. They knew that he was a cripple, a lame man. Seeing this man was over 40 years old, that's chapter 4 and verse 22, who they knew had been unable to walk from birth, suddenly walking and leaping, that had to be astonishing to these people and really caused them to to react in a a very positive, if questioning, way. The man is pictured as now kind of clinging to Peter and John. Perhaps he was holding on to them out of a feeling of attachment to the ones who had healed him. Maybe he was clinging on to them out of sheer joy and gratitude. I would sort of understand that. What is happening is that they are leaving the main part of the temple back out into the court of the Gentiles and heading for the eastern side. They entered into a large porch called the Porch of Solomon. Along the whole eastern side of the temple enclosure was a porch or a roof extending from the top of the wall back into the temple area. This roof was held up by two rows of columns, 37 feet high. The whole porch was 60 feet wide. There was a similar porch across the southern end of the temple that was 90 feet wide and was called the royal porch. What happened is these porches provided protection for the worshipers during the rainy season and shade during the hot summer months. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, we find an indication that Solomon's porch became a regular meeting place for the early church in Jerusalem. At any rate, as they left, 
A large group of people followed them, amazed at what had happened. Yeah, I, I just thought of this uh, uh, kind of the uh, idea back in John chapter 5 when there's a man that was um, told by Jesus to get up and walk at the pool of Bethesda, and he was waiting there. Um, and in, in verse 6, he asked that man, he said, Do you want to get well? I think the, the question that is almost a, yeah, I, I think so. If you were to ask anybody that has any sickness from the um, most severe to just your your day you know day cold type thing it would you would yeah I'd like to get made well um, and so why would he ask that question I, I think I believe it's the um, the idea of the identity that it, it, he had been th- this man in particular had been that way for 38 years the man in this chapter as, as Greg pointed out was over 40 years old so a similar time there and that I think to the reason Jesus asked that question um, is, you know, you can really get, that is my identity. I, I This is just who I am. Um, I, I am this person that um, is ill with whatever he was ill with. I'm this person that has been able to, not able to walk for 40 years. And so for the identity to, to change on, on who they are and something that drastic, um, I think it's just a, it's a, a neat um, parallel from each of those chapters and also just the um, changing power of our God and, and the um, changing power for of, of lives for, for these two individuals. Let's go ahead and look at Peter's sermon. It's found in verses 12 through 26. We'll start first of all by looking at verses 12 through 16. Ross, you want to read those? Sure. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I think Peter recognized this as a wonderful opportunity there in the porch of Solomon to preach to those people gathered together in that location. They were filled with amazement at the miracle and eager to know and hear what the apostles through whom the miracle had been wrought had to say. Peter proceeded to show that it was by the power of Jesus that the mighty deed had been done. Peter's remarks indicate that the people were looking at him and John as though they were the ones responsible for the miracle and that they were the ones who should be credited for it. But Peter directed the honor away from himself and away from John, asking why the people were looking on them as though they had healed the man by their own power or piety. Peter then made his first powerful point. The miracle was the work of God to glorify Jesus. It was the very same God that the patriarchs had known and worshipped. It was important to show these men that he was not introducing any new religion, new meaning in the sense 
that it was different from that which the fathers had looked forward to. Peter said that God worked the miracle in order that Jesus might be glorified. Peter then says that they divided or delivered Jesus up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate had been determined to let him go. I think we all recall that when the choice was offered by Pilate between Barnabas or Barabbas and Jesus, the Jews had cried out for Barabbas and demanded the crucifixion of the Lord. Here Peter places the blame for killing Jesus squarely on the shoulders of the Jews who had pressured the Romans to execute him. When Peter refers to Jesus as the Prince of Life, that word Prince can mean several things. It can mean Prince or Leader. However, it can also mean origin or source. It makes for quite a contrast. Jesus is the origin or source of life. He is the one who gives eternal life. Barabbas was a murderer, one who had taken innocent life while Jesus was the giver of life. They had chosen to save the taker of life and kill the giver of life. You know, I, I kind of laughed to myself when Peter just kind of nonchalantly said, "Oh, why are you why are you wondering at this?" You know, it reminds me of what the angels said to the apostles when they were watching Jesus ascend to heaven. It's like, uh, "Men of Galilee, wh- why do you stand gazing up into heaven?" It's like, well, we've just seen something very amazing, and he just kind of fluffs it off as, uh, "Oh, oh, that 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 was nothing." Um, I love your point, Greg, about their their quickness to divert attention to God and away from themselves. And we we ought to be uh, ready always to do the same. Whenever uh, we have opportunity or praise, uh, we should be thinking of this. Someone says, "Oh, that was such a kind thing you did." Uh, you know, uh, that was such a generous gift. Well, it, it's about the God who blessed you with the means to to do so. Oh, that was so very compassionate. Oh, it's not about you, though. It's about, you know, compassionate people that you recall in your life and, and how, how helpful they were. E- even the preacher. Oh, that was such a great sermon. Well, it needs to become about the message that was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so that in almost in every facet, um, you know, Proverbs tells us that a man is judged or, or measured. Uh, by the praise that is afforded him. So it's think of that. Whenever praise comes your way, uh, this is a test, and it's an opportunity to glorify God as well. Yeah, I'm struck by in the beginning of verse 12, the, the aspect of, of seizing the opportunity. And, and Peter, when he saw this, when he saw the people running together, um, and they were completely astonished, he replied and, and says, the things that um, we read, the verses we read, and what we talked about. And I think that's just a, a, an attitude to take, because Peter sees the opportunity, and then is going to take advantage of that opportunity, and it's going to um, be uh, for, for the benefit of, of God and bring glory to his name. I think for us, you know, when we see opportunities like that, to be looking for opportunities to share God's word. I think of Philip later on in the book of Acts, and of course he's told by the Holy Spirit, to go up and speak to the eunuch, but the same idea applies. Of he saw the eunuch reading Isaiah fifty-three, and was going and, and spoke to him about it. And, you know, for us, we can see. I, I know I like to work at coffee shops when I'm doing schoolwork or whatever it may be. And there's a lot of people that will read their Bibles and do Bible studies by themselves with other people, 
and you could, you know, not necessarily have to interrupt, but, you know, ask questions about it or whatever, what they're reading. And there's just opportunities. Um, see someone pray before their meal or see, um, and you, you list examples upon examples, but to be looking for the opportunity to share God's word um, and to, to share the joy that we have in him in, in everything we do. Peter sees this opportunity and it's going to take advantage of it and, and, like was said, bring glory to God. You know, whereas these folks had killed Jesus, God had raised him up from the dead. This was supreme proof of the Messiahship of Jesus. It is a supreme proof that he is the Christ. The resurrection is the chief point of emphasis in apostolic preaching. It is what makes Christianity unique among all world religions. It is the only one proved to be divine by a ver- verified fact that for over 2,000 years of attempts hasn't been able to disprove the fact Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter said, we are witnesses of this fact. Peter essentially says, because of faith in the risen Jesus This once lame man is now healed. The faith of Peter and John, which had come through Jesus as he had provided abundant evidence, had resulted in this man's healing. It was obvious to them all. The once lame man, so handicapped from birth, had given perfect health. Well, that's going to take us to the end of the program today. We want to express our appreciation for each one of you who listens and encourage you to get in touch with us at www.nkcofc.com. Until next time, then again, thanks for listening.